Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, everybody. Bridget McGowan here, and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. Today, I have with me John Chen. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bridget. Welcome, everybody who's listening in. This is going to be a good conversation, everybody. I promise you. I promise you. John, you have always been a confident speaker, hands down, without a doubt. What is it that you typically speak on when you make presentations? What's your core message? Oh, I got to share one thing before the core message, which is you said you've always been a confident speaker. And you know what? I got to reiterate, you know, you must be listening to this podcast because you, you probably know the fact. Public speaking is is one of the scariest things people do. It's the number one thing on most people's, uh, you know, I don't want to do list. And I, as early as I remember, I think I ran for president in third grade, right, Bridget? Right. <laughs> the speech, right? You got to give a speech before you get elected. And I did all those things that if you're a first time speaker, you probably did. You were nervous, you were fidgeted, your palms are sweaty, right? Your heart's racing. And you probably didn't say things exactly the way that you planned to. And I just have to tell people to get that confidence is that you have to just do it a lot. To be an amazing top speaker, you have to be a good speaker. To be a good speaker, quite often you have to at least once in your life be a bad speaker. And that's the only path that I see. You can't shortcut, you can't really cheat. And uh, so I got I to gotta leave it at that. Now, what do I speak on? Well, before that pandemic thing, Bridget, I used to speak on team building. I really can help teams become the top 1% in the world, specifically around team building and cross-team collaboration. And that was an all face-to-face business. And then poof, March of 2020. And it changed everything. And for me, I had 15 canceled events. So, uh, But the best part, Bridget, is a lot of us who are speakers, we got other cards in our back pocket. In fact, we've been probably professing things should be a certain way about something and that we just couldn't get the world to follow because we we're just too, we're too early. We're just too far ahead. And so one of mine was virtual meetings. For over 35 years, I've been meeting virtually, and I've been advocating to do team building on virtual, and everyone said, that's ah, a great idea. But, John, here's a bunch of money. you got to fly to Florida, right? <laughs> And until March of 2020. And then people finally saw the light. And so now my number one thing that I speak about is engaging virtual meetings. Zoom meetings, virtual meetings don't have to suck. In fact, they can be as good as or sometimes better than an in-person meeting. You just got to learn how to do it right. So I'm going to get free advice from you and free information from you. I I know you hate when people do that. It drives me up a wall too, but I'm just going to do it anyway because it's my podcast. What are <laughs> what are maybe two or three things someone can do right now to make their virtual meetings more engaging? Two things. Number one, you want engagement? Engage. That sounds dumb, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're just keeping it real you're just, just keeping, keeping it real, real john right? and that's what i've said like if you want engagement as the speaker then you need to engage the people in your audience you need to give time most of my talks bridget if you come and look and you attend one of my talks 
50% of my time or more is dedicated to getting the audience to contribute and talk. It actually makes my life easier. And, right, you, the audience, feel engaged going, oh, my gosh, I, that Mr. John Chen just asked me to speak. And I got to share something in this meeting that, you know, possibly made it better for everyone else. Uh, so I think that's the really important thing. Is here's, here's the key. Have a plan to engage and interact with every attendee on your virtual meeting before it ends. And it can be anything, right? It can be this, right? Turn on your camera, like audio. I say hybrid. Uh, it could be chat. It could be a poll. You know, even in a, a 600, 700-person meeting, you can actually engage and in um, interact with everyone by the end of the meeting if you use the tools and your speaking abilities, right? So, so that's number one. And uh, here's the other one I think I really love. Like, if you have a high-value meeting where you're, like, the speaker or the star – and and there's like let's say there's 200 decision makers in the building that you really need to influence uh our principle is never lead a virtual meeting alone i love my good friend gil uh gil came back and he said you know if you're on zoom most of the time he said this never zoom alone <laughs> never zoom alone and what i mean by that is use somebody such as a producer or pair with somebody even myself, after being online and meeting for 35 years, I can still get caught on mute. Man, it is terrible, right? Here he is, the keynote speaker, John Chen. And then, and then Bridget's got to come <laughs> off of mute and go, John, you're on mute, right? And it's just like, <laughs> the whole thing, like it's a crash. Um, and so producers, if they're great, can prevent this. Uh, if you didn't know this tip, Bridget, there's a way that you can give someone else the ability to unmute you. And so they could take care of that problem. I've done it for very high-end speakers, right? Actually, one of them was, you know, our good friend from FUBU, he's on Shark Tank, Damon? Yeah, he yes. came in and started yes. speaking to this meeting full of like business owners and he started, he just he forgot, he was on mute. I was his producer and I set in this thing that allows me to unmute him. So mid-sentence, first word, I hit unmute because I see it immediately. And nobody in the audience knew that he missed mute. And so that's what I'm saying. That's why um, never meet alone, uh, never Zoom alone means that work with somebody uh, because then you, the speaker, can stay focused on you, the audience, and let somebody else deal with chat and, and, attend, and you know, admitting people and muting people who are noisy and other stuff like that. So you, the speaker, can always stay focused on people. And you know what? I think nobody as an attendee ever really wants to hear the words, and now I'm going to share. Excuse me. I feel verklempt. I'm going to share my screen. Nobody wants to hear that. Just share the screen for crying aloud. In fact, let somebody else share the screen. Yes. John, <laughs> you are the only other person I have ever heard say the exact same thing. I have been screaming from mountaintops. It just drives me up a wall when someone says, and now I'm just going to click over and share. I'm thinking to myself, just do it. I, I don't need to have this narrated tour of 
<laughs> what your fingers are about to do with your mouse or your laptop. So sorry for that interruption. Oh. But as you can tell, you really struck a nerve with me. On that. <laughs> like you just hit two buttons on both Bridget and myself at the same time. And that's the please don't ever say that button. Jeez. Come on. It's 2022. I would have let it happen in 2020. Okay. But it's two years. You still don't have to tell me this. Right. Just because you can't walk and chew gum doesn't mean you need to tell me you're going to share your screen. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I've never heard anybody else say that, but I'm always silently screaming that in the back of my mind when someone says it. It's speakers. Wait, 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 wait we got to say this to speakers. Speakers, listen to that. You secretly kill the audience. We're just being nice to you in that moment. But a good portion of us die a little bit every time you lean into the mic and you say, and now I'm going to share my screen. Don't do it. Just like if you hear this podcast right now, that's the number one thing you could stop doing to to benefit your audience. Wow. <laughs> and I don't know why that is so annoying. I It's just I, I think of a presentation, whether you're in person or whether you're performing it virtually as a performance and as something of a production yeah. and just carefully choreograph everything and you you just don't have to announce that you're switching mics or that you are taking a drink of water or that you're you know whatever Th these are like little mental notes that you can silently voice to yourself to let your hand and brain know what to do i don't know it it just takes away from the overall performance when you insert these little action messages that add nothing to Here, don't, your don't, overall performance don't believe the two of us go watch the top 10 tedx talks and count the number of times somebody goes and now i'm going to advance my slide <laughs> Nobody does it. Nobody who's credible, who's amazing, does it. Okay. Whew, you know, you'll I'm... have some, you'll have, yes, yes. That was like worth, I don't know how many minutes on a therapist's couch for both of us. <laughs> and you will have some people who are offer, who will offer to advance your slides for you. I've yep. had that happen. And I don't want that because yep. then it means I'm having to constantly say next slide next slide please and it just takes away from the whole flow and the whole feel that i'm trying to create well bridget can i add to this though sure as, as a producer there are times while i will work with a speaker but i will only show and advance the slides only if you, in the powerpoint notes for instance you gave me cues Right. If you said the word amazing, I would know that's the moment I'm going to switch. You and I have a secret language. Right. And so because I, I don't ever want to hear next slide. Next slide is like the, the second thing right underneath. I'm going to share my slides. You don't want to hear. OK, but there is a funny story, too. Um, in one group where we didn't have it organized, but I had to share the slides because the other person who was sharing the slides had a technical problem. Um, we created the boom advancer. Do you know what the boom advancer is? No. As the speaker, every time you said boom, I would advance the slide. And so it was actually became something really funny. Like the whole audience was chatting going, this boom advancer is the funniest thing I've ever seen. So you would go something like this. And now this is one of the top keys to own the mic. Boom. And now what? Blah, blah. And you would see that. <laughs> so you could actually incorporate it into your talk as like a like a like a mic drop every time you change the slide. It changed. It turned it into a performance. So I'm saying you can do these things, but watch the reaction between next slide, which is and and like 
the boom mic is something nobody had ever seen, and it actually added energy to the presentation, uh, even though it wasn't technically the best thing that we could do. So it worked. I like that. I like that because I've had situations where for whatever reason, all of a sudden the clicker decided not to work or something or another. And then all of a sudden I'm having someone who's being very gracious and kind offer to advance my slides for me. And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to figure this out. Even if I have to run back and forth to that computer (laughs) while I'm putting on my performance, nobody is advancing my slides for me, but I like this. And the word that I might use while I, see that one syllable probably is best i love the word sizzle so we're gonna do a sizzle oh yes right now let me share this next tip that's gonna be sizzle (laughs) next slide slide. (laughs) this all gets to the one of the one of the other things to be a great speaker and especially the last two years in virtual is that you need to have plan b C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, Z. You know what? And so, because there were so many unpredictable things that happened that, like, we were used to almost all the unpredictable things that happened in person, such as, like, your clicker broke or whatever. Um, But all the the things that happened on virtual were, were virtually new. And so you really needed to have one. And, and so here's a, here's a great example. As a producer, I was uh, producing a class for a woman who was teaching a paid certification class. So you had to pay extra on top of this virtual conference to attend this class. And you would earn a certification at the end. It's a three-hour class. Two and a half, an hour, two and a half hours uh, into the class, she freezes into that awkward pose that you see in Zoom when you freeze. And then poof, she, like, ejected herself, right? She was gone. And as the producer, I start. I stepped into the class. Uh, we actually timed it. I went back and looked in the video. Within 32 seconds, I had actually gone to the class and said, well, great. Let's go recap some of the things that you learned over the last two and a half hours. So there was no dead time. Right. And three minutes later, she called me on my phone. And I ha- asked somebody else in the class. I said, do you mind taking over? This is our speaker. Um, I would like for you to help lead the class while I talk to her. So then I put the whole thing on mute. And she goes, John, you're never going to believe this. The entire internet to my entire business complex, which I'm in right now, has its internet cut. And so I said, do you, you got your phone? She goes, yeah. Uh, talk about blam- this is plan B, C, D, and D, uh, E. I had asked for a backup copy of her presentation, even though she was presenting it. I brought it up. She said, I'm on slide 44. And I said, my phone's charged. I said, let's do this. We finished the class. Right. We came back uh, only four and a half minutes after she lost connection. She finished the class over my speakerphone going through my mic to Zoom. Always have a plan B, C, D, E, F, G on down the line. I completely, completely hear you. What I thought you were about to say was she was going to use her personal hotspot, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm sure that was one of the plans in, in, the, in the list of plans, if you will, Other, right? Other I know when I'll, when I'll do an engagement, I'm going to have one laptop open, and then I also have another station over here with another laptop to my right. And then I have, of course, our home uh, Wi-Fi connection, but then I also have the personal hotspot on the phone, and I have that deck on both machines and so on and so forth, right? I mean, everybody listening, 
John and I cannot stress it enough to have every plan in the book. And like he said, do not Zoom alone. Having that producer or moderator or whatever title you want to give that person who can be there if all of a sudden you're just ejected from the virtual room, having that person there to carry on in some kind of capacity. And it needs to be somebody who's cool, calm, and collected who can do exactly what John did. Everybody, let's do a recap of what we learned. Everybody get into groups of three and jot down two questions you still have. Everybody, I mean, whatever it may be, right? Everybody, here's an open-ended question, write a one-minute paper, whatever, just to keep them engaged because that's our rule number one while you work with the presenter to try to put plan Q in place. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Just very James Bond. You need Q. You need all the gadgets. And, um, and sometimes no matter how much you plan the, the, those things could all fail and you don't learn some of these other plans until you get experience, right? You like, you never think that, um, you know, we had that happen. Somebody, a VP at a major company, she lost both her power and her internet in her neighborhood because somebody was doing construction and cut them both at the same time. 20 minutes before she went on. She had to get in her car and drive to a spot with good cell signal and she delivered the whole keynote, keynote from her cell phone in the car. But she did you it. Figure it out. You, yes, that's what the best speakers do. You figure it out, you stay cool, you stay calm, and you think to yourself, how do I want to be remembered? Do I want to be remembered as the frazzled person who didn't know what to do and who was hyperventilating? Or do you want to be remembered for that person who said, you know what, we've got a glitch, it's a pretty big one, but I'm going to act like everything's all good and we're going to figure this out. Okay, everybody, I know you've been listening to John and me all this time and I have yet I have yet to introduce him. John Chen is the author of the number one Amazon hot new book release, Engaging Virtual Meetings. Surprise, surprise, right? He has been meeting virtually for more than 35 years at this point. So when the pandemic hit and everybody had to shift to virtual, there was no shift for John to do. He was already there. He has produced more than four virtual meetings, including an eight language meeting and the only 100% live virtual conference in the training industry. He knows his stuff. I'm here to tell you, if you couldn't figure that out already, John knows virtual meetings. Now, John, what would you say is the biggest difference between a presentation that you would do today versus a presentation that you did 30 years ago. (laughs) Wow, 30 years ago. (laughs) Yes. And me me specifically? You know, if it's more interesting to talk about someone else's presentation, I'm all ears. (laughs) I think I want to, let's tackle this in two ways. Okay. One is what's different, but more importantly, let me just also add what is not different, okay? Okay. And so what's different is, like tonight, for instance, I'm going to give a presentation to 30 people in Saudi Arabia from Seattle. That means I got to stay up till like 10 p.m. to like 2 a.m., but it means that I don't have to sit on an airplane for 36 hours, and that's a, that's a miracle of technology. 30 years ago, this stuff, none of this stuff was available. It was not that good. I tried it. I tried it. In, I, I used WebEx in 1999, 
and we had a you be a little postage stamp and like you maybe get four frames a second and i still think it was amazing like we were all in awe going i could see Bridget. wow right because 30 years ago you couldn't see anything you saw you saw a telephone is what probably <laughs> you saw and and so yeah so i think those are all the things and i also just think the world is in a different place too because what I discovered always, too, it's not where you are. It's where your audience is. Like, 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 like I said, I tried to get people onto virtual beforehand, and the audience wasn't there. So it doesn't matter how good a virtual presenter I was. Nobody was there. Nobody saw you. It's like the tree falling down in the middle of a forest by itself. Does anybody hear it? So I think that those are some of the things about really, you know, the fact that, too, brilliant. We can attend a meeting literally and almost figuratively anywhere. I have attended a meeting on my phone. In fact, I called into a, a virtual meeting on my drive home from the airport from L.A. in my car, and I actually kept signaling and could actually see and hear everybody, you know, while driving. <laughs> it's like Star Trek, right? It's like like warping while you're in warp speed, passing another thing in warp speed, and like putting yourself in the other vehicle at the same time. It's you know that's that stuff is hard, and we've made it easy now. Like you can literally tap a link or tap a button and be somewhere, be with people and do things. Okay, so that's that's what's different. Here's what's the same. I'm just gonna give it a shout out to my very good friend. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert. Do you remember the book Eat, Pray, Love? Do you remember that book? Yes. Yes. She sold 16 million books. And, of course, Julia Roberts played her in this amazing movie, if you've never seen it. And she gave a keynote to Training Magazine uh, in 2020. And using nothing else than what I see here, right, when I look at Bridget right now, it's a good camera. It's a beautiful background. It's a very nice mic. It's good lighting. She didn't use any other technical tool than that. And she mesmerized an audience for 45 minutes online, right? 38 minutes into this keynote, somebody chatted, I feel like I'm having a one-on-one -on -one with Elizabeth Gilbert in an Italian cafe. And then I looked over to the participants list. 650 people are logged in. That's a master class in virtual engagement, not using any of the tips and tricks, which we advocate a lot. I'm the first to use a, a crafty trick, right? Let's do polls. Let's do chat, right? Let me blow up my screen and play a video. Uh, and she did none of that. And so that's what I want to say is what is the same? As a speaker, your, your vulnerability, your authenticity, and your storytelling is as valuable or more valuable than it was 30 years ago. And you actually answered the next question I was going to ask, which was, well, this, this just is you know, evidence of what a rock star you are. I was going to ask, what was it she did that kept them engaged without the technology? And you answered it. Well, and we did, Bridget. I'll, I'll share too. Me and um, 10 other top speakers went and reviewed her talk probably three more times. We literally tore apart everything from body language. Like, actually, if you can't see right now, if you, if you take your hand, Bridget just a moment ago had her hand on her face. Like, she's like a leaning, like when you put on your finger, like you're kind of like pointing to your temple, like you're thinking. 
She does that. And what it, what all of us in the chat came back and going, oh, my gosh, why, why do we feel like connected to her? And it's these little hand motions or gestures that actually tell us that even though she's really famous, she is earnestly trying to connect with us in this moment. Right. And that's actually very tough, too. Which is, you know, she came in there and she she admitted, like, I, I'm going to drop I'm going to drop the mic bomb right now. I got yoga pants on. <laughs> it was funny. It, 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 like for the audience, like many, like probably 60, 70 percent of the audience that was like, I'm already disarmed now. I'm like open. That's funny. Right. OK, I'm ready to listen to you. And yeah, she, she let them know, like you said, although she's the celebrity, she also was letting them know I'm just like you. That and a lot of that does it. She actually said, after I wrote that book, you don't want you want to know what's what's more terrifying than writing your first best selling book. She goes, is writing the book after that best selling book and looking at all the pages and recognizing it, it's a piece of shit. Oops, dropped the bomb. She said that. She said that she was mortified. She actually had told the editor, I am not submitting this book to you. I will be late according to my contract, but I can't release this book because I don't authentically think it's saying what I want to say. And I can't tell you why, but I can tell you that it's not, it's not it. And it terrified her. And so she goes, you know, like people are all talking about imposter syndrome all over the place today. You know, someone like her, even after a best-selling book can come back and say, I felt like an imposter with that second book because it wasn't saying what I wanted to say. And, and she communicated to the audience to, in such a way that we felt that. We're going, yeah, I could see that. Or I felt that. I felt that, that you know, after you have like your busy, busy, biggest success that you get knocked down by your client or some comment or something else, even though you're well accomplished, it happens. And it happened to her and she shared that. It was, and that's what, it made you like her even more. Ah. I need to right? take that to the stage. What is your suggestion for someone who feels like I had this wonderful success on the microphone, I did a great job with the presentation, but then the next one, it's kind of crappy. How does a person bounce back from that? Well, what I've always said too, especially in team building, you learn more from when you fail than when you succeed. And what I mean by that is when you succeed, you walk around going, of course I'm awesome, Bridget. <laughs> that was the bomb. I am all that. But when you fail, if you're any speaker worth your salt, or mic that you're holding, you're going to stop and go back and go, man, what did I do? What was wrong with that? Why didn't that hit? That hit somewhere else, but didn't hit here. You know, and it could be anything. You're like, I didn't sleep the day before. Uh, you know, it's, it could be all these small factors. By the way, if you are someone who buys a speaker, you don't buy just that hour on stage. You buy all their research before and you buy all their customization. You buy all their health habits, right? The day that leading, you know, all those rituals and habits uh, that I know us speakers do to be more than 100%, better than we are in regular life, is when we are on stage, is uh, that we do all that. And and I think that's that's what it is when you miss. And, what, you know, the last thing that you can do, too, when you miss, this just actually happened to a very good friend of mine on this last trip. He was very reflective. Well, one, he was hurt, you know, kind of like, and that's okay. You should feel that. What will say more about you is what you do with that bad review than getting the bad review. And so 
Number one, I, I advice I gave this gentleman when we, we were talking about it. It was a shock. He did not see it coming. I didn't see it coming. And he said, uh, what, I, what, I, what I suggested to him, and it's like, you're having a reaction now, and I, I feel you, right? I just want to acknowledge that. And I said, don't make any decision till tomorrow. There's actually right now in this moment, no rush. There's no hurry, right? Why don't you sleep on it and decide something that you're going to feel good about, you know, 10 years from now. Because he almost left the event. You know, your first impre- you know, your first intuition is, hey, I'm going to take my mic and, you know, and take my ball and, and, like, go play somewhere else. And and that's okay. Like I said, I understand that first reaction. And the second one, he came back, when he came back the next morning, he said, I'm going to stay here and support. Because he'd worked, like, nine months on customizing this program. And the piece that he customized was still in it. And so he goes, I'm just going to be a support. And I said, you know, you might have given yourself the better, better gift, which is by not speaking on stage, you can really focus on how are people reacting to this thing that you designed. And all the people he, it was designed for were the top eight executives in this company. And he saw an immense part. And he made way better connections than we did on stage because we had to focus on the 400 or what is it, 240 people in the audience. And so that's a great example of he took a miss. He's been keynoting for 34 years. He doesn't miss often, but he took a miss and within 24 hours turned it into a valuable lesson for not only himself, but I told him later uh, when we had a celebration dinner, I said, Don, I just, uh, uh, I just said, I love and respect you even more, right? Because not, not because you missed, but because how you handled, how you handled that miss. That told me more. I've known this gentleman for a long time, almost 24 years. And again, I I grew to love and respect him even more. Not again, not that he failed, but how he handled failure. That's fantastic advice. To it, it's all about how you handle it. I mean, it just makes me think about how we teach children that lesson, where it's not so much about falling down, but do you get up, or when you do get up, what do you do next? So. If you do have a performance where you don't feel like it was just absolutely fabulous, it's about what do you do based on that information? What do you do differently? How do you take that to grow and be better? Something you brought up Mm. makes me want to ask you my next question, because it was a really good point about when you hire a speaker, what it is you're getting. In a, in a minute or two, John, you're going to be able to ask me a question. I do want to throw that out there. But when you hire a speaker, you're right. You're, it's not those 60, 90 minutes that you're paying for, but it's all of that expertise, all of that knowledge, and all of those habits and rituals that come along with that one-hour keynote. What are some habits or rituals Rich, why can't I talk rituals or practices that you have, John, that are just non-negotiable before you engage in a speaking performance? I have have a lot of them. And I'll show the number one thing that I I got from another speaker, you know, because this is all about like, I I feel I think I feel what, what your podcast is about, which is like, this is a pay it forward. This is like, like, if you're a new speaker, like I'm now on the this is my 25th anniversary of my company. By the way, only 4% of all companies ever get to 25 years. Congratulations. And thank thank you. And 
one of the things that, you know, we're getting to the stage of our life where we want to leave a legacy and we want to pay it forward. And so for all you new speakers out there, like, I, I hope that you listen to this, like reading books, you, you can learn from other people's experience. And I hope that one of these things that Bridget or I said will prevent you from having a meltdown on stage, right? <laughs> um, one of my top rituals. I uh, I I got to spend a lot of time with Tony Robbins, right? You know that guy, big big teeth, huge. Got a movie. He's done a few things. <laughs> I I took all his training, and I actually got to that point where I said, you know, I was a software programmer, and I said, I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to affect people. I think the greatest software on the planet is not the code that's on your iPhone; it's the code in your head. And I truly, truly, honestly believe that. And so one thing that Tony Robbins does, if you ever go back, you can actually look on the Internet. There's a couple examples. Um, there's something he says and motions he makes before he ever goes on stage. And again, I think you can look for Tony Robbins backstage ritual. And so uh, like so before I went on for this big group, like I'll sometimes I'll find a private place if it's not acceptable or I'll say it in my head or a couple other things. But um, mine goes, I think, something a little bit like this. I create the juicy life of my dreams with love and joy. I beam with intelligent action, outrageous fun like that. It is done, right? So things like that. I, I say and do a bunch of motions like that before I go on stage anywhere. And if Bridget will help me, right? Bridget probably wasn't expecting that. But what did you feel as you either could see or hear me do that? You felt energy. It was undeniable. You felt like this is not going to be your typical sit and get. This is going to be someone who is going to electrify me and who's going to have me on the edge of my seat, if not out of it and on my feet. Look, look, Bridget got all of that from about 50 to 60 seconds, right? And that's what, a, when you hire a speaker too, you're hiring presence. You're also hiring energy to fill a room. Like filling a room of 30 people is very different than filling a room of 3,000. That's why those big name speakers get paid so much because they do. When they step on stage, somebody way in double Z can still go, oh, my gosh, that's Tony Robbins or whoever fill in the blank on the stage. Right. And uh, that's what I aspire to. And so that's a ritual that I do do. And, and the whole key about it is putting yourself in your best state before you interact with the audience. Because whatever I tell my facilitators, so I've trained dozens of facilitators to lead my programming too. And what I always say as a facilitator or as a speaker, if you go up sad, they're going to be sad. If you go up angry, they're going to get mad, right? They're going to fight. If you go up um, confused, right, the group will be confused. And so whatever, that is the power of the platform is you have the ability, like music, to shift people's energies and, and thoughts, and again, if you, you can shift them in a bad way. <laughs> and ideally, if you're a speaker for good, you can shift people in a really great and positive way. So that's my number one ritual is get yourself, get your head completely in the game before you ever touch that mic and walk on stage. This makes me think about how you're, you're creating an ambiance. Like you said, they're paying you to bring this energy it makes me think about, and I know you've seen this or heard this before, John, where a speaker steps onto the stage and will say something like, hey, how's everybody doing? And then the speaker gets this lackluster, pitiful response. Yeah. And then the next thing is, 
oh, come on, you can do better than that. That one drives me up a wall too, John, because it is not the audience's responsibility to create the hype, to create the energy, to create the ambiance. It is your responsibility as the speaker. And you know what? If you do that, which I don't recommend you start presentations like that, but if you do that and you get those sad, pitiful responses, take it as a personal challenge and think to yourself, okay, you're not, you're not hyped up now, but wait until you get a load of this presentation. So one, don't, don't start presentations like that anymore. And understand number two, it's not the audience's responsibility to create a buzz. It's your responsibility on that microphone. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if I got that lackluster response, you know, something I would do is that then the other thing as a speaker is to meet people where they're at. Let's just say something happened. Let's just say the company laid off 100 people, right? Or a teammate passed away unexpectedly, and that's why the room is a bummer. That's not your but you know, that's not your responsibility. But as a speaker, I've done that, uh, and I've done that, and, and I would actually do something crazy. Like, I just might go like, oh, wow. Okay, let me let me find out where you're at. And then I would, like, not stand on the stage. I would sit on the stage and say, let's talk. Right. And then get into a conversation. So you meet them where they're at and then, you know, get somebody to say, like, tell me what's happening. Right. Why is this such a bummer in here? And then you then you can work your way, you know, in your 60 minutes to bring people to an enlightened place. But you can never. You know, the the thing that you said that is the miss is like, how's everybody doing? Because like everybody, like they said, let's say somebody, you know, passed away. You're like, I don't want to say anything to you. I'm, I'm having a bummer moment right now. And so meet people where they're at. That's your other job as a speaker. That's the big takeaway. That's the big takeaway. What is your question for me, John? Okay. My question for you is this. So, Bridget, you love the mic, and the mic has changed, right? Meaning that it's usually not a handheld. It's like a Yeti now. Um, I'm really curious. What's the best moment you've had virtually over the last two years? It could be speaking. It could be attending. It could be, you know, but there's been some really cool. The pandemic has given us gifts. I'm kind of curious about what's yours. Wow. The best moment, you know, probably was when I had this crazy tech fail. And, oh, I've had a couple of those in the virtual environment where (laughs) but we figured it out we figured it out and so on and so forth but we couldn't get something to work we had done a tech check session a week or so before we all got on into the platform 30 minutes early we checked every button and clicked every box we were good to go then all of a sudden at showtime something just didn't compute And so the best moment was letting my producer, and there were probably two or three people from the organization for whom that I was, I was presenting. They were behind the scenes trying to figure this out. And I just asked the audience, what's going on? What do you want to learn? What's your big challenge? And we just had a nice little candid, casual conversation. It was the best moment. It was really interesting. 
It gave us time to kind of get to know each other as opposed to me just being this big light on this virtual stage. Here's our keynote, Bridget. (laughs) Right. And we dive into it. (laughs) Instead, they got to see me as a human and I got to see them and hear from them one on one. So that was probably one of the best moments I could probably name a few others. But it was having that tech fail, causing me to shift gears and do something different. But that also allowed me to get to know the audience when otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do that. I'll, I'll give these three words that other friends have given me, but become so important in this pandemic and virtual age. Connection before content. And, and you know, that's and in this case, it wasn't designed that way. Like I know, like in your vision, in your head, you had something else in vision or or your your, you know, the person who hired you did. And, you know, that miracle of it's it's why I show up early to almost all my programs. It's actually why I help design to open the doors. So like, uh, you know, I don't know if you do this, Bridget, but I love doing this, which is when I go speak at a, a real program, I go walk the audience. I'll just sit in the audience. Sometimes I won't even tell them I'm the speaker. I'm just like, hey, that's cool. What's up? What were you there? Like, can you? T-? And then you like get up, and somebody suddenly realizes, going, oh man, Bridget was sitting next to me, and I didn't even recognize her. <laughs> Not everybody knows us, right? You know, blah blah blah. And and it's so important because then I customize my talk because then I can do things like, ah, I know Bridget will tell me, right? Bridget, I, I can I can interact with you, right? You can play off people, and like I'm gonna make sure and take you know take care of Daryl's point, who is over here, you know, just things like that. Um, that connection before content, if you're a speaker listening to this, you know, open your Zoom five to 10 minutes early and just have no agenda and, and just talk and, and just hang out and ask people questions, you know, even simple. It could be non-work related stuff. What do you have for breakfast? What's your pet's name? What's your kid's name? And you'll find that you'll do even better because you made a connection before you started delivering any of your content. In those face-to-face performances, John, that is a mainstay for me where I'm showing up several minutes. Typically, I was, well, part of my MO is mm-hmm. showing up at least two hours before that, that face-to-face mm-hmm. presentation. If I can get there the day before, even better, because I like to get a feel for the room. It's just like checking into a hotel, right? Uh-huh. The first time you check into the hotel, you go into your room. Okay, where's the light switch? Where's the bathroom? Where's the closet? But the second time you go into the room, you're comfortable. You know where everything is. The same thing goes for me in those in-person presentations where right. I like to visit that presentation room at least two hours beforehand. But then Before the audience gets there, I like to do the exact same thing, roam the audience, act like I don't even tell them that I'm the speaker. But some of these programs, they're getting all crafty and savvy and fancy, putting your picture (laughs) next to your session. You're messing up my groove with all that. (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Let me do my thing. (laughs) Yeah. Let me do my thing. Now I have a whole agenda here but yes and and john would you agree sometimes that takes a little pressure off of you as the speaker you just kind of feel a little bit more comfortable yeah to a certain extent just kind of hanging out and talking with the audience yeah i do it for them and i do it for me because once i do that for me then i again i got to get out of my head every time i've given a, a terrible presentation i always thought about how do i look right every time i give some of my best presentations i'm giving like how did i serve how did I serve, right? I'm focused on you, not me. And as soon as I do that, I, I seem to give my better 
performances. And that's another that's a hard thing to break as a speaker because we like speaking. We love the spotlight. Don't get me wrong. Um, and, you know, if you want to be a great, amazing speaker, you learn to, at some point to ascend to the level above that, which is it's an honor and it's about servant leadership. It's about service. John, what else do our listeners need to know in order to make sure they own the microphone? I don't know that we both came from the same planet. We didn't know. We just like met each other. Like we're you, the two of us were separated at birth because I think we agree on like a lot of core culture and principles. I, I'm telling you, this has been super amazing because I never have anybody who has the same thinking that I have on so many points when it comes to the speaking business. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that pre-check is like, again, there's two things here that's a secret. Number one is to go through all the technical stuff, right? Go through your AV check the day before, play your slides, right? Even if you don't do the whole thing, but just walk on the stage and like envision that you're there. Secretly, what I think I'm doing here too is I'm pre-filling the room. Like I'll sit in the room and like think about like filling the whole place in the audience. And so when people come there, it's like, I didn't do it that day. It's because I've been working on this room for like four or five or six hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely that's and the, it makes me think about what you said earlier you're not hiring us for that one hour no you're hiring us for all of that preparation and that energy that we put into it john chen it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today thank you so much for being on the show thank you bridget i hope to come back and you, what you're going to be on my show soon uh oh let's with, do it Speaking of which, I do have one thing. Hopefully, Bridget will allow me to share. She asked for a gift. I'm uh, putting a link with this podcast. We have a conference every October with uh, 12 of the top virtual speakers. i got to get Bridget next year so because uh, I didn't get her this year early enough. Uh, come and see my version of the most engaging virtual conference you've ever seen. I have a free ticket. I also have a VIP paid ticket. Uh, choose which one ever because I just want to see you in the audience. Back to you, Bridget. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody check out that link. Check out the show notes. That link's going to be there. And I cannot wait to see you at the event and cannot wait to speak at the event and serve the next time it comes around. John Chen, thank you so much. And thank you to the listeners. I couldn't do this show if I didn't have a few ears tuning in ever so often. This is Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone.